1: It's one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date.
0: As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's here now. The goalkeeper's beaten and South their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer.
1: As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here.
0: Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9,
1: The Game. Here's Jason Longshore.
4: Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight live on 92.9, The Game and the Odyssey app. Thanks for hanging out with us late night on a Tuesday. I'm Jason Longshore flying solo tonight. My tournament co-host, Jessica Charman, is, I think, still in transit. Back home to England. She'll be back with us tomorrow night. She might have landed by now. She might be listening for all I know. Uh, I know she was watching at least part of the semifinal today before she got on the plane because she sent me a few texts checking on me to make sure I was okay after the the first half that Argentina had where it was a little cagey early, but Argentina gets the dub over Croatia 3-0. And they didn't even have to suffer as much as we all kind of expected that they would. I I predicted 2-1 last night. I thought they'd get the first two goals. That happened. I wasn't really expecting the third. And I thought Croatia maybe would have a little bit more in the tank. They didn't. And look, it's an older team. We talked about this before the tournament started. This is a team that made the final in 2018. They've refreshed a few positions. I think they've gotten weaker in the attack, and that showed in this game as well as throughout the tournament. But they're an older team, and they've played more minutes than anybody else in the tournament. And at some point, that catches up to you. That might be foreshadowing what I think will happen tomorrow in France-Morocco. It might not. We'll get into that as we go tonight. But let's break this thing down from Argentina's win over Croatia because there's a few key elements in it, and some of it we did talk about last night, kind of previewed. Foreshadowed for you a little bit. The early stages of this, it was really cagey as you would expect in a semi final. It was neither team wanted to make a big mistake. Grand total of one shot in the first 20 minutes, and that was from Dejan Lovren So, really, the big storyline of the first 20, 25 minutes was Lionel Messi grabbing the back of his left leg and sending shockwaves through Argentina and the rest of the world. There's a lot of talk about his hamstring when when they started talking about it. I was watching his movements after that, and it didn't look like he was belabored in any way in his movements. Um, I don't know if his hamstring was was bothering him or not. There was some talk afterwards about an adductor issue, whatever it was. It didn't seem to bother him too much. We'll talk about that as we go. But Argentina didn't get a shot until the 25th minute. Enzo Fernandez with a great effort that, I don't know, I thought they kind of wrote off a little bit too uh, too much on the TV broadcast. Dominic Livakovich had to come across and make the save. I thought it was curling in, and it was kind of a sneaky shot that I don't think Livakovich had a good look at. I don't think he really expected. Enzo's got that unpredictable ability. He almost caught Livakovich there. Enzo was at the heart of the move that did open the scoring. It was his ball over the top, just kind of delicately placed into the run of Julian Alvarez. Alvarez gets into the 18, collides with Livakovic, penalty called. Now, the Croatian players and manager were very upset after the game. Uh, There's been some talk about it. I honestly don't know what the talk is. I thought it was about as clear of a penalty as you're going to get. The referee, Orsato, from Italy, did wait to see if the advantage was going to materialize. It didn't. Alvarez gets to the ball first. He he touches it past the keeper and gets wrecked. I I think that's about as stone cold of a penalty as you're going to find. I don't know what the complaint is about it not being a penalty. That needs to be a penalty. We, we need to see that called consistently as a penalty because he didn't blast it past the goalkeeper to where he's not getting on the end of it. The question is there. He makes the touch. He puts it past the keeper. Yeah, Loverin's coming back, but you can't take a player out the way that Livakovic did. It's a foul. It's a penalty. This isn't hard. This isn't difficult. There wasn't much of a complaint here, in my opinion. There wasn't going to be much of a discussion about who was going to step up and take the penalty either. It was going to be Lionel Messi. We all knew that. We knew he was facing a goalkeeper who has shown a lot of quality in saving penalties in the shootout. He saved four. That's as many as anybody has in World Cup history. So what is Messi going to do in this situation? What is Livakovic going to do in this situation? Livakovic is the kind of goalkeeper who doesn't really guess super early and give away where he's going to go. He kind of tries to wait it out and react to what the kicker is going to do. We've seen Messi take penalties a variety of different ways. It's not always to the same side. It's not always with power. It's not always in the same spot, sometimes with a little bit of power, sometimes with a little bit of trickery. Messi's done a little bit of all of that in this tournament. From the penalty spot so the question was how is he going to approach it he went with power and he slammed it home no chance for Livakovic to get to it no chance for any goalkeeper to make that save i don't know even if if messi told him where he was going to put it it was that good of a penalty and it was a very special goal for Lionel messi as well it was his 11th all-time world cup goal for Argentina, now the all time leading scorer for his nation at a World Cup. He passed Gabriel Batistuta, who was on 10 with him coming into the match. So 1 0 up Argentina. You know, I'm sitting there watching this like, okay, they get the goal. I mean, it's not against the run of play. Argentina wasn't dominating the play. It was a kind of a brilliant individual effort by Fernandez to play it over the top to Alvarez. was kind of wondering where things were going to go from there. Croatia got a corner, and Julian Alvarez was defending the near post about five minutes after the the penalty. Now, on this counter, it it turns into one of the craziest goals you will see. Uh, Julian Alvarez rumbling, bumbling, stumbling through the middle of the pitch. Um, You got Croatian players diving at it, kicking at it, trying to clear it. Borna Sosa tries to clear it, somehow puts it back off of Alvarez. Alvarez just keeps going. He's got runners around him, pulling defenders away, I guess unbalancing everything. But Alvarez just keeps on going, and he ends up putting it in the back of the net. Just a crazy sequence, five minutes after the opener. And we've seen in this tournament, maybe more than, than others I can think of, in a while where goals are coming in bunches. So you get the opener in the semi Croatia, a little wobbly Argentina, maybe trying to figure out how much do we want to risk here to go for the second. They get this one off of a Croatia corner. That's the craziest thing about it. Alvarez on that near post, he makes a 110 yard run to score a goal. Uh, there was a brilliant touch from Lionel Messi in the middle of it as well on, on the the counter where it's cleared. Messi kind of lunges, gets maybe a toe to it, flicks it into the path of Alvarez, and he goes through to score. I, I haven't done this during the tournament, but I wanted to, to share what this sounded like from an Argentine commentator. Uh, this is from the Football de Primera Network uh, here in the United States. Uh, They brought in Mariano Mariano Kloss, who is one of the greatest Argentine commentators. This is what that second goal, the Julian Alvarez. Kind of solo rumbling bumbling stumbling effort sounded like on Football Day Primer.
1: Muy buena marca y contraataque argentino. Bien por Álvarez. Messi que va. Bien por Álvarez. Arranca el pibe. Y Galope. Y Galope. Que se viene al segundo. Ahí va el pibe. Ahí va el pibe. Ahí va el
2: pibe. Ahí va, no, 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 no.
4: Mariano Glass is just one of the best at calling sports on the radio. Uh if you're not feeling that, I I don't know. I I don't know if you can feel sports. <laughs> that was just insane. Um so it's 2-0 at halftime. Croatia even being a kind of, you know, defensive team, a very veteran-laden team, even they're going to get a little rattled by that. And and I thought they got a little too rattled to be honest. I didn't like the moves they made at halftime, two subs. The biggest thing they did in that that I I did not like from a Croatian perspective was they pulled Sosa out the left back. They dropped Ivan Perisic to a left back position, maybe trying to overload the left side with him getting forward. I've always felt like he's their most dangerous player in the final third, and now you're taking him further away from the final third. It didn't make any sense to me. It, It really, truly didn't. And then five minutes into the second half, they they pulled Brozovic, who had been leading the team in touches up to that point, and the game really turned Argentina's way from then on. It, it just it felt like Croatia then couldn't get on the ball. The Argentine midfield was able to dominate even more. And then Lionel Messi reminded everybody why he's the best player in the world and probably the best player at this tournament. And I know you can argue however you want about, he walks a lot during tournaments and and this and that, man, I've seen it. I've heard it. Go watch this goal. 69th minute Messi picks the ball up at about midfield going up against. I feel like the best center back in the tournament up to this point, Josco Vardial, who's going to make a lot of money in a big transfer. When that time comes in either January or in the summer and Vardiol just can't stay with Leo Messi takes him to the end line does the little stutter step um, somebody compared it and I thought it was a brilliant comparison. I know a lot of you have seen the clip of Michael Jordan dunking on the Knicks where he, he's up against the uh, the baseline and he kind of curls back and almost like hesitates. And then goes back against the grain, and I think it's it's Ewing who he loses, and goes in and dunks. It kind of felt like that, because Messi takes off on the run. Vardial tries to, to cut that off. Then he kind of starts to loop back around to his left, and then spins back hard to the right. Gets to the end line, puts the ball back inside to Alvarez. Alvarez gets his second goal. That's the third for Argentina. That's an amazing assist for Lionel Messi. And it's just, it's something that you don't get to see very often. We've never seen what Messi did in this game as many times as we've seen him do it. A goal and an assist in a World Cup match. Four times in his career, three times in this tournament. Nobody's done that. Nobody in the world has done that. Uh, The rest of it, I mean, it's 3-0 at that point. I was kind of wondering if we'd see Thiago Almada. We didn't. We did see Argentina play the remaining players on their roster who hadn't featured in the World Cup yet. Paulo Dybala to come off the bench late to see if he can give you anything potentially for the final. That's always nice. Juan Foyth coming in as well. Luka Modric was substituted and applauded by both sets of fans in the stadium because of this being his last World Cup game, one of the the greatest players of this current generation, just an amazing player, but really shut down in, in this match because of the Argentine midfield. I know a lot of team or a lot of people are going to talk about Messi with Argentina and they should because he's been that good in this tournament. But give credit to this team defensively. No team in history since 1986 where they've really been able to track all of this. No team has conceded fewer shots in their first six games before the final than this Argentina. No team, nobody. Yeah, they've scored goals. Yeah, Lionel Messi's brilliant. Yeah, Julian Alvarez is emerging with with two goals in this one. Um, It's crazy. But defensively, Emiliano Martinez doesn't ever have much to do. They are shutting teams down. It's not through possession. It's not through, you know, Like what Spain would do Where they keep the ball They play keep away from you No, it's They're a really good Defensive team And they've rotated At fullback And they had to rotate here Because of Two suspensions Due to yellow card accumulation I thought Nicolas Taliafico Was brilliant In this match As the left back And the fullbacks Were really critical Because We talked about it Last night On what Argentina Could do in this To deal with that Midfield from Croatia Three great players Three great players On the ball They dictate the game how do you take that away? You play a diamond midfield, and that's what Lionel Scaloni did. He brought in Leandro Paredes to play in a midfield with Alexis McAllister, with Enzo Fernandez, with Rodrigo De Paul. Four players, all pretty central, and they kind of tucked in. That gave the fullbacks a lot of room to cover, but it also overloaded the central channels and made it really difficult for Modric, for Brozovic to get on the ball for Kovacic, to get in those positions where they could hurt you. Enzo Fernandez just kind of harried Luka Modric all over the field all day long. Wasn't able to really do much. Uh, Scaloni afterwards, he said, it's difficult to put this in words. This is what I've always dreamed of as an Argentinian. It's an emotional, and and our people support us in a way which is unforgettable. We are making history. Argentina has never lost a World Cup semifinal. 1930, they beat the U.S. 1986, they beat Belgium. 1990, they beat Italy. 2014, they beat the Netherlands. And now 2022 over Croatia. We'll dig a little deeper into this Argentine team in five minutes when Atlanta Soccer Tonight returns on 92.9 A Game and the Odyssey app.
3: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
2: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage.
1: Take a look back at today's matches with Atlanta Soccer Tonight
0: on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.
4: Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Jason Longshore flying solo tonight as Jessica Charman is flying back to her beloved England. Uh, she'll be back with us tomorrow to talk about the France-Morocco semifinal tomorrow at 2 p.m. You can watch on Fox and on Telemundo. I think all of you who have listened to me talk soccer on this station before know how I feel about Argentina. You know, I'm not Argentine. I've never visited Argentina. I, I hope to change that at some point in the uh, near future. Uh, if anybody wants to send me plane tickets, I, I will accept them gladly. Um But if there's a country that, you know, alongside the U.S. that has planted its flag in my soccer heart, it's Argentina. And it was 1986 in the World Cup. When I'd only played one season of soccer, I'd never had a a soccer experience. I'd never seen a game before that World Cup in 86 and before really the semifinal. It's the game that I really, truly remember Consuming from Argentina first and Maradona's performance in, in that game, two goals, scored them both, gets Argentina to the final. That final was an, an amazing roller coaster ride over West Germany, 3 2 win. And I've been an Argentine fan ever since. Um, it's, I, I've talked about it in this tournament, and I feel like with Argentina, you get some of the comparisons to. You know, Notre Dame football to the New York Yankees, to the Boston Red Sox, to the Chicago Bears, you know, teams that have decades upon decades of history and honestly, ghosts in, in their history of, of things that happened and, and things that affect today. And, you know, you've got Diego Maradona, who, you know, passed away not that long ago. Uh, Argentina's greatest player, maybe the greatest player uh, of all time until Lionel Messi came along. And you've got these things that are just kind of in the air around a team. And Argentina's got that. And that's one of the things that I love when we dig into this because there's so much to, to jump into here. Let's get into a little bit deeper and and talk a little bit about the past, a little bit about the current and a little bit about what could be next on Sunday when it comes to Argentina. Scaloni afterwards, the manager, uh, he, he said, look, uh, sometimes it can look like we only say that Lionel Messi is the greatest player of all time because we're Argentinian. Uh, Scaloni said, but I don't have any doubt. Every time he plays, it's a huge source of motivation for his teammates there's nothing left to say about Messi. It's a privilege to have him. Go check. I mean, when he posts something on, on social media, on Instagram especially, you know, his teammates are chiming in and his teammates are like, you know, gracias, Capitan. You know, it's just, it's 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 such a, an interesting dynamic because Messi is a teammate, is a captain, is a great player. And he's also kind of, from somewhere else he's he's like an alien or a spirit I don't know it's such an interesting thing um on the field here's some things we know about Lionel Messi he has more assists in the knockout rounds of World Cups than any player since they started tracking assists in 1966 the assist today means that Messi has been involved in the goal in 19 goals and assists he's been involved in 19 goals that's goals plus assists at the world cup miroslav Klose of germany ronaldo of brazil gerd muller of germany also with 19. that is the record since 1966 according to opta who keeps track of these things there's unofficial reports in south america that pelé leads the category all time with 20 goals and assists at world cups Hmm. one more game to go I would expect that Messi would have a hand in that one. That could get really interesting. Uh, Mentioned it, that Messi's the first player in World Cup history to score and assist in the same game three times at the same World Cup. He's the first to do that four times in his World Cup career. In this tournament, he is leading or tied for the lead in shots, shots on target, goals, expected goals, assists, chances created, open play chances, take-ons, dribbles, uh, line-breaking passes. That's a lot of stuff. This guy at 35 years old is still doing what he's doing. And it's just amazing to watch. We are very lucky to get to see this kind of greatness up close. Uh, there are so many greats that you know we've seen, or maybe we've seen part of their career. I mean, I never got to see Pelé. Live. I've seen video, and I've seen some really good video of how good he was. But it's hard for me to compare Pele to Messi. It's hard for me to compare. I think Maradona, as at the on the whole, to Lionel Messi, because we've seen everything that Messi's done. You can find videos of him very easily at seven, six years old. I think, uh, where the ball's almost as as big as his lower half of his body, and he's still dribbling past people uh, we've seen pretty much everything Messi's done in his career on, on video. A lot of us watched it live. Uh, it's, it's He's greatness. He's absolutely greatness. And to be able to do all that and carry his team to another final, remember he was there in 2014 um, Copa America finals as well on the, the whole many, many Copa America finals. This guy delivers in big moments. And he also just sets records on the regular. He's going to set another one on Sunday, the most games ever in World Cup history. He's tied with Lothar Mateus, the famous German, right now. He'll break that on Sunday. But it's not just Messi in this tournament. You know, I mentioned the defense earlier. The young players who have come into this tournament Alexis McAllister, Enzo Fernandez, Julian Alvarez, these are all young players talented players some of them weren't even starting when the tournament got started and they have earned their way into this McAllister 90 percent passing over two defensive actions per game almost one and a half chances created per game he's the kind of midfielder that Lionel Scaloni loves because he can be a more defensive midfielder when he needs to be more of a six he can also be more of a 10 it's perfect for the way Scaloni has his midfield play, where everybody has to be able to do all of the functions. McAllister has done that consistently in this tournament. Julian Alvarez, four goals at World Cup 2022, only the second Argentina player to score four goals at a single tournament, aged 22 or under. Gonzalo Higuain did it in 2010. Enzo, today, I mean, I think he's the one who really limited Luka Modric. Talked about Enzo before the tournament. Talked about him when he got into the lineup. Talked about him when he's had big moments. Talked about him when he missed a penalty in the shootout. That would have won it. And he's bounced back. I think for all the talk on social media in hashtag USMNT circles, which it's a scary hashtag. Make sure you got your hazmat suit on before you wade into that. All the talk about Gio Reyna and was Berhalter right? Was Burhalter wrong? Should Reyna have done this? Whatever. Enzo Fernandez is the example here. He didn't start. There was no guarantee he was going to play in this tournament much. But when he got the opportunity, he grabbed it with both hands and he ran with it. And he has delivered consistently in all facets during this tournament. Enzo Fernandez is what Gio Reyna should have done. Whether he's disappointed or not because he wasn't going to start. And I think Berhalter got that right. Tim Wea was the right selection. Tim Wea had a very good tournament. Gio Reyna needed to put his head down and get it done. You can quibble with how Burhalter talked to a place where it wasn't supposed to be public. It was a leadership conference that wasn't supposed to be shared anywhere. It was. And they kind of broke his trust. Should he have said anything? Should he have not? He didn't name the player by name. Anyway, all that stuff going on, all that stuff aside, Julian Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez were not set to start this tournament for Argentina. And, man, I can't imagine them getting here if they don't come into the tournament. Uh, Enzo wrote a letter in 2016. Enzo's a, a young guy, and he was a teenager. Hadn't even started playing professionally when Lionel Messi retired from the national team in 2016. If you remember this, he had lost in the World Cup final in 2014 in extra time to Germany. He had lost in penalties in the Copa America final in 2015 to Chile. And he had lost in penalties in the Copa America Centenario final in 2016. Three straight losses, not in regulation, one in extra time, two on penalties. The national team was a mess. There were issues with the federation. Lionel Messi said, I'm out. I'm retiring. I don't need this anymore. People were all over and people were, were, hounding and people were blaming him it was crazy enzo fernandez as a teenager wrote a letter publicly and it was too messy and it, the whole letter is it's amazing for uh believe he would have been 15 years old at the time the whole letter is amazing i highly recommend you go and check it out but at the, the end of it, he said, seeing you play with the light blue and white is the greatest pride in the world. Play for fun, because when you're having fun, you have no idea how much fun you're giving us. Thank you and forgive us. This is Enzo Fernandez as a teenager to Lionel Messi, begging him to come back to the national team. Now they're teammates. Now they're going to play in a World Cup final together. Things can come full circle really, really fast. If you haven't seen the reactions to Argentina's win, whether it's Buenos Aires, whether it's in India, whether it's in Bangladesh, which has turned into a huge hotbed for Argentine soccer fandom, I highly recommend you check them out. Check out Atlanta United social media. They're singing the muchachos song at the brew house today, which I did not expect to hear. Uh, Just amazing stuff. Very, very cool. And Argentina and Messi's a big part of it, but just Argentine soccer as a whole. It's kind of a, a global phenomenon, and the feeling that this team creates—it's—it's it's hard to quantify at times. It really, truly is. Um, it, it's a special thing, and I mean, I think as you guys out there who listen to us talk at United on ninety-two nine, the game. You know, there's a huge Argentine connection with Atlanta United historically, not even just this current team, which there is a connection, which is wild. Tiago Almada is going to be the first current Major League Soccer player to be participating in a World Cup final. And yes, if he doesn't come into the match, but he is on the match sheet, that is participating in a World Cup final. Don't try to get cynical about it and say he's not going to play. He might not play, but he's been part of this ride the whole way. There's only two players in World Cup history that were either not in a top five, the big five European leagues, England, Spain, Italy, Germany, France. All the players who have featured in a World Cup final have either been from one of those five leagues or from the domestic league of the team in it. You know, if it's Argentina or Brazil, they, they played in their their home country. There's only been two other players ever. Who. Fall outside of that. Tiago Almada will be the third. That's pretty incredible. But the uh, the culture of Argentine soccer is something that, yeah, it's it's inside of Atlanta United, and it's something that I would have never guessed <laughs> when Atlanta got an MLS team and all this was coming together. That me as an Argentine fan and and finding the game through Diego Maradona, that that's how all of this would connect. Um it's crazy and it's amazing. And I'm really, really lucky to get to tell these stories on on local sports talk radio about a team that means a lot to me and a team that I think means a lot to a lot of people. You know, if if you are a hardcore soccer fan, if you're a casual soccer fan, if you've been to a couple Atlanta United games or listened to, to Mike and I on the radio a few times, or if you're somebody who lives and dies with the World Cup every four years, I highly recommend Sunday. And this World Cup final, because it's going to be a really compelling story either way. If it's Argentina and France, if it's Argentina and Morocco, either one. I mean, it could be the the Rocky Balboa of upsets. If Morocco gets to the final, they'd be the first African team to ever get to the World Cup final. If it's France, it, it's a rematch from the round of 16 in 2018. A wild 3-4 win for France. Uh, just a crazy game. It had golosos all over the place in it. It's the sixth final for Argentina. They lost in 1930. They won in 1978 in Argentina. They won in 1986 in Mexico. They lost in 1990 to West Germany in Italy. They lost in 2014 in Brazil to Germany. We'll see in 2022. Messi told the Olay newspaper in Argentina after the match that Sunday will be his last match in the World Cup wearing the Argentine shirt. Uh, the quote I mean he didn't definitively say it but he made it pretty clear he said there's many years until the next World Cup and he doesn't think he'll be able to get there he doesn't think he'll be able to maintain and and be still a, a viable player at that stage he'd be you know 38 39 years old that would be asking a lot I'm not putting anything past Lionel Messi at this stage of what we've seen from him in that shirt and in this tournament but That's what he has said to the Argentine media. That This is it. Last game in a World Cup is going to be a final. Can Argentina win it? Yeah, they absolutely can. Uh, They can beat either one of the teams that they could be facing. They're 3-0-0 against Morocco all time, all of them friendlies. They're 6-3-3 against France all time. Mentioned the 2018 World Cup match. Two wins against France at World Cups in 1930 and in 1978. The questions for Argentina, and we'll learn more about these, some answers to these over the next couple of days. The adductor or hamstring injury for Messi, is that going to be an issue? Can he get through 90 or 120 more minutes with that? I don't think there's any way you're going to have him miss a final. It's just not going to happen. He'll play and he'll, he'll give everything he has if they have to carry him off the pitch. Rodrigo DePaul, he's only able to get about 60, 70 minutes right now. Can he get you more if you need to? Or are you going to have the luxury with this midfield and so many different options to be able to get 60 good minutes out of him and then have him go to the bench? We will see. Who will it be as the opponent, though? we got to talk about that. What are the keys for Morocco? What are the keys for France? Answers coming in three and a half minutes on Atlanta Soccer tonight. Hang out with us on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app
0: Now we're back with more of our look at all of today's matches on Atlanta soccer tonight Let's go.
1: on sports radio, 929
4: the game. Welcome back. Final segment, Atlanta soccer tonight, live on 929 the game and the odyssey app. Jessica Charman will be back with me tomorrow as we will break down everything from France and Morocco the second semifinal, if you had Morocco in your bracket out there, I need visual proof shared with me on Twitter at Longshoe. I don't think there's anybody out there that actually had this game in their bracket. I know somebody did because we know how this stuff goes. There's like one in 900 million people who got it. I do not think that person is ever going to listen to this show. It's just amazing that Morocco is here. France is the overwhelming favorite, as they should be. This is the defending champion French national team. Now, look, defending champions have had trouble in previous World Cups. France was the first defending champ to get out of the group stage since 2006 when Brazil did. It doesn't happen very often that you get. Back to this stage. France is trying to get back to the final. And they're the favorite in this match. Minus 430, according to FanDuel Sportsbook. Morocco is plus 320 to advance. When you start to look at some of the other potential juice box options there at FanDuel Sportsbook, Kylian Mbappe to score at any point in the match, plus 135. It's not really going out on a limb too much. Olivier Giroud, plus 195. Also not really on a limb there. Antoine Griezmann at plus 270, a little bit further out on the limb as he's been playing provider. If you like Yousef Nassiri, who got the goal for Morocco in the quarterfinal, that towering header against Portugal, plus 500 for Nesiri to get on the board. It's going to be an interesting game. I mean, if you want your your history lesson, uh, you can read all about the history between Morocco and France uh, off the soccer pitch. It's an interesting one. Uh, Morocco's had an interesting path to get here if you want to get into your your history with morocco now defeating the iberian peninsula and spain and portugal both eliminated at the hands of morocco now they're just moving up a little further north into france all of those countries have had some issues over the years and that's very loosely said with morocco this game's going to have a lot of uh undertones to it let's say so france comes in as the favorite it's the seventh World Cup semifinal for France. I mentioned that Argentina has won all six that they have appeared in. Uh, France, this is their seventh. They lost their first three semifinals. They have won their last three semifinals. 1998, they went on to the final. They won that. 2006, they went on to the final. They did not win that. Zinedine Zidane decided to headbutt Matarazzi instead of taking a penalty in the shootout. It was a little bit before that. It wasn't an either or situation. But anyway, France did not win in 2006. They did win in 2018. Let's talk about Morocco a little bit. Walid Regregui, their manager, took over in August. It's December now. He's had eight games with them. They've only conceded one goal in the eight games that he has been in charge of. And it was an own goal against Canada. Regregui came in after a great run at the club level um, with Casablanca. He is somebody who has commanded respect straight away. Um, Very articulate, very wise, um, great career as a player. They are unbeaten in six games. That's a record for an African nation at the World Cup. When he came in, you have to go back to the previous manager, Vahid Halil Hadzic, Bosnia and Herzegovina manager, who was working in Morocco, got them qualified for the World Cup. But it was a really kind of ugly situation with a lot of the stars for this team, namely Hakim Ziyech, probably their best all-around player outside of Ashraf Hakimi. And Ziyech was kind of exiled from the national team. He wasn't going to play in the World Cup. And the situation all kind of came to a head. He's let go. Regraggie comes in, gets the September friendlies, gets one game before the World Cup, and then gets this tournament. And what a run that he has been on in this tournament with this team. He's a manager who a lot of people compared to Pep Guardiola because of the bald head and because of the success at a young age. But really who he looks at as a manager and he emulates is Diego Simeone. And that would get really interesting if we get into a Morocco-Argentina final, but I digress. Simeone El Cholo at Atletico Madrid, known for defense, known for really making it difficult to be beaten. That's who Greggy has based Morocco after. He's even said that his teams at times have looked like a Simeone team when they've been at their best. He wants his team to be solid in the back. He doesn't apologize for it. He gets forward when he can. He's got attackers who can create chances kind of out of nothing. So it's worked. It's suited the players that he has to work with. The one goal allowed in open play, own goal against Canada. Uh, Reggi at press conference said, a lot of Europeans have criticized our style of play, but that is because they don't like to see an African team play cleverly. They think African teams used to be fun but get knocked out. Those days are over now. There isn't just one way of winning. Look at France against England. They didn't create 40 opportunities. They were just effective. I don't really care about expected goals or possession. We had 0.01% chance of winning the World Cup at the outset. Now we have 003 but we are going to try and destroy statistics. I like Greg Reggie. Uh, you know me if, if you've ever heard me talk about this game. You know, I love teams that want the ball. I do care about teams having possession and creating chances, but I love that Rick Greggie has just gotten seriously pragmatic with what he has to work with and said, this is my best route to success and shocking the world. And this is what we're going to do. And he's got the players to buy in. That's the sign of a great coach. It's the sign of an outstanding coach. Now, There are some other undertones besides the historical ones between France and Morocco, and one of them is teammates at the club level and good friends at the club level. Kylian Mbappe, Ashraf Hakimi, both with PSG, really good friends. And they're going to have to play against one another. I think they were joking before the tournament about potentially meeting at the World Cup. It's actually come true. Uh, Reggagi talking about Mbappe and how good he is. He said, "We won't make an anti-Mbappe plan because, unfortunately, there isn't just him. When we know the level of Antoine Griezmann between the lines, um, you've got to worry about more than just Mbappe. You have to. It's it's impossible to try to mark Mbappe out of the game because then Usman Dembélé will hurt you on the opposite flank. Then Olivier Giroud will get on the end of something, and then Antoine Griezmann will do what he's done in this tournament, which is be." Maybe the best player under the radar. He's dropped into more of a a number ten role with this French national team, who's dealt with a ton of injuries and has had to kind of reshape things. Didier Deschamps has had to figure it out on the fly. He might have some more absences for the semifinal tomorrow. We'll get there in a minute. But Griezmann has turned it from a number nine big time goal scorer into a number ten. Set up both of the goals in the quarterfinal win over England. He's been involved in eight goals in his past eight World Cup starts. He's got the highest expected assists total, 2.94. That's measuring the quality of the chance being created for somebody else. He's created 17 chances for teammates. Antoine Griezmann has been one of the best players in this tournament. Uh, He's on the World Cup best 11 in my mind right now. And he has an opportunity to take his team to the final with a big performance tomorrow. Now, on the Moroccan side, I've mentioned this player many, many times. I'm not going to be able to find a whole bunch of stats to back this up, but Sofian Amrabat, the holding midfielder, the defensive midfielder, he's the one who really feels like is the heart and soul of this team. He's been incredible. Um, I don't know what he's got the cryogenic chamber set to. He might be at minus 180, minus 190 degrees, sitting in there, chilling, hanging out, getting the body right to face this French team. But Amrabat has led the way for me. In this Moroccan team. He has symbolized this Moroccan team. He's got help. Azadine Unani in the midfield next to him. Maybe the more eye-catching one. Amrabat is the grittier one. Uh, Eight successful tackles. That's fourth highest among midfielders in the tournament. 41 recoveries. A lot of teams are calling up Fiorentina and Serie A. And asking about Sofian Amrabat. Uh, If I had a team, I would be asking about Sofian Amrabat as well. He is a huge asset to this team. I mentioned the French maybe being a little shorthanded. Upa Makano, center back, and Rabiot, central midfielder, both doubtful after missing team training on Tuesday. Upa had already missed Monday's session. Rabiot, this was the first session he missed. Both are suffering from a cold. Um, they're on light training indoors, according to the French Federation. This has been going around. We talked about it before the U.S.-Netherlands match, that there were a few Dutch players that they were concerned they might not play. It ended up not being a story. But there's been a lot of players and staff and everyone dealing with the climate and the back and forth between the very hot climate and the extreme air conditioning in venues and in facilities. And it's making some people sick. Um, Uba Macano and Rabio, we will see their game time decision if they're out, Konate would probably start at center back. That's not a huge gap there. I, I think you'll be okay if he's your starter at center back. I think in midfield, there's a bigger loss if you lose Rabiot. Uh, Yusuf Fofana would probably be the replacement. And I think that's a bigger drop-off. Um, Chouameni and Griezmann would have to really pick up their play a bit against a team that, look, is going to clog the, the final third, they're going to make you have to work. And what Morocco does so well, and I know we've mentioned it before, but it's important because I don't want people to have this idea that because Morocco is a defensive team and they look to play on the counter, that they're just sitting back and, and just clogging passing lanes. No, they're sitting back, but when you get into the zone, when you get into the attacking third, they press you and they harass you and they collapse on Mbappe in this game. They'll collapse on Griezmann. They will get very aggressive, and that's a little bit of a hard thing to deal with if you're France because you get used to playing a team that gives you a lot of space in the middle third. They're not going to press you there. They will at times, just to mix it up, but generally they're not going to press you there. You're going to be able to get through the middle third, get to the final third, and then boom, you have somebody right on top of you. That's difficult. That, that's, that's jarring at times. And I'm curious to see how the French handle it. I've wondered about the French mentality with all the absences. They're going to get tested tomorrow. I want to see how they handle it because frankly, I don't think they were the better team in the quarterfinal against England. I still think they're shaky defensively. If you lose Upa in the back, you're potentially going to be shakier. Teo Hernandez lost his mind and gave away a penalty to Harry Kane that he missed. It was a crazy challenge. Didn't make any sense. It made no sense at that point in the game where it's two, one France. How do they handle the situations? They, they've, they've got World Cup winners' medals. A lot of them do. Not all these players do, but a lot of them do. How do they handle this pressure? Because if they don't get a goal in the first 15 minutes, the pressure ramps up. In the first 30 minutes, the pressure ramps up. In the first half, the pressure ramps up. If it gets to the extra time, pressure is going to be off the charts. How do they handle that? That's the story here. Morocco has shown they can handle it. How do they handle fatigue? because it's going to catch up to him. It caught up to Croatia today against Argentina. It's going to catch up to Morocco. How severely does it? And how does Morocco compensate for that? Those are the questions I have going into it. It's hard to pick against France. I'm not going to do it. I think France wins it. I think they get to the final. I think it is a goal in the second half in a 1-0 win, and the goal comes from Olivier Giroud. I think he's the one that can cause Morocco problems in the middle because Morocco potentially going to be missing one of their center backs. I think Sherwood is the guy who's going to end up carrying France to the final and then Argentina, France in the final. (laughs) What a match on Sunday. Buckle up. And like I said, if you're a longtime fan or a new fan, a hardcore fan or a casual fan, a World Cup final is always a very special thing. So make plans to watch this World Cup final on Sunday, no matter what the matchup is. And we'll know tomorrow it's going to be special. Now, before I go, I did want to touch on uh, Atlanta United in the trade market today. George Campbell, homegrown center back, moving to Montreal. And if you know how I feel about the homegrowns and the player development, it's always sad to see guys move on who have come up through the club, come up through the academy. I saw George as a player at the U-17s before he made his debut for Atlanta United too, and then got the MLS contract and I thought had a good season playing maybe more minutes than was expected. But he's not going to be a a regular starter here. There's too many players in front of him and you've signed Noah Cobb to a homegrown deal coming up behind him. So this is a move that one of the rare ones that I think is good for everybody involved. Campbell will get more time in Montreal. Atlanta United gets a guaranteed $600,000 in allocation money, which is essentially cap space. Over two years, it's 400,000 in the first year, 200,000 in the next. There's a sell on clause if he moves on to Europe after his time in Montreal. There's also potential escalators in the deal taking it up to 900,000. It's a good move for everybody involved, but it is still sad to see George Campbell go. MLS is just around the corner, right around the corner. The MFAM Cup, we now know, is February 15th. That is the first game on the schedule for Atlanta United. There will be more, maybe by the end of the week, maybe by early next week. It's all coming up really fast, but so is a World Cup semifinal tomorrow. France Morocco. We'll break it down tomorrow night after Hawks basketball around 10 p.m. Jessica Charman will be back with me then. Make sure you subscribe to the Off the Woodwork podcast on the Odyssey app, your favorite podcatcher. You can always listen to the show on demand, hear all of our other interviews as well. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday night with us. Adios, everybody.
2: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas